Welcome to Center Ice. It is the day after the trade deadline. And as promised at the end of our last episode, we were going to do a trade deadline episode and break down all the big moves we saw. It wasn't a super busy trade deadline. We didn't see as many big moves as in previous years, but that's due to circumstances and just teams being a little more conservative with their moves this year. But nonetheless, we saw plenty of moves. So, Mac, let's uh, jump right into it and get into some of the bigger moves we saw yesterday. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, still plenty of big names thrown out there that did get moved. But like you mentioned, a couple teams like Arizona and Nashville decided not to sell off any pieces. So that limited, you know, the amount of big names that were available. But I would say most of them got traded. So it was still an entertaining trade deadline for fans and and very active overall, uh, considering, you know, COVID and all. Yeah, absolutely. And uh I'd say what we saw this year, and we see it a lot every year, but in particular this year, we did see the big moves go, big big names get moved, but we saw a lot of really good small moves by a lot of teams that are in uh, contention, and we'll get into some of those teams that we both really think did well at the deadline, but let's jump into some of these big moves, Mac. Uh, first one, uh, right at the deadline, Anthony Mantha heading to the Washington Capitals from Detroit. The Red Wings trade Amantha to the Caps for Verona, Panic, a first and a second round pick. A pretty good move for Yeiserman, if you ask me, Mac. And uh, a move that, to me, signals that the Caps know that they've got a window here. Their window may be closing soon. They're sitting pretty on top of the uh, East Division, and uh, they want to make a run at it. That's what this move signals to me. Yeah, you're right. And they've had a good year, especially under Peter Laviolette. They've been a better two-way team. Uh, the goaltending has been good. You know, Vitek Vanacek has been a surprise, but, you know, everybody else is doing what they usually do. You know, OV scoring goals, John Carlson is racking up the points, but, you know, the renewed commitment to defense and physicality has really helped them uh, be atop the division this year. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, going Detroit's way, I think that's a good return for Mantha. Obviously, Anthony Mantha was one of Detroit's best players and uh, Steve Yeiserman made sure he was going to get his worth for that trade. And I think getting a first and a second, along with Verona and Panic, is a solid bunch of assets going back to Detroit in return. Yeah, no, I, I like the move a lot for Detroit here because, like you mentioned, the first and the second round pick, those that's a combination of the high price for Mantha, but also taking on the Richard Ponick contract, which Detroit could do. But, I mean, the way I look at it is Mantha and Verona are comparable players. Uh, Mantha does have a contract, whereas Verona needs to be extended if they choose to keep him, which I think they will. But then, again, you include the first and the second-round pick, and you know Steve Eiserman knows what to do with those picks. I think he, he did very well here. But I will mention, Anthony Mantha has never played a playoff game. He's going to do that this year. I'll be really interested to see what playoff Mantha looks like. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, he's been in the league for a few years and just he entered the league and entered the Detroit system at the wrong time when Detroit was on a downward spin. So I, I'm excited to see how he'll play. I think he'll fit in very well in that Washington system. You mentioned the two way game under Laviola. I, I think this is going to be a very good fit and I, I could see him being in Washington for a while. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, they're in win now mode, like you said, and 
and I think they tried to uh, create a move here where you got a young player back for a young player, but maybe you're a little bit higher on Mantha. He is bigger. They do like those bigger players, but, you know, again, similar skill set to uh, Brana. Yeah, absolutely. And let's uh, keep go- going down the list of, on these big moves, Mac. Uh, David Savard to Tampa Bay, what are your thoughts on that one? I mean, it made a lot of sense because I think even though Tampa Bay has been very good this year, um, they were lacking another top four defender. And now you've got a pure defensive defenseman in David Savard who can play big minutes in the playoffs. He can block shots. He's kind of a heart and soul type, and I think he'll fit in really well with Tampa Bay. Yeah, I agree. And the other thing is Columbus really sold off this uh, deadline like we expected they would. And uh, we'll get into that more in a bit, but I like the return going to Columbus. They'll get a first round pick and a third round pick, and they're going to get a minor league defender. In, well, Tampa's going to get a minor league defender in Brian Lashoff, which, you know, you never know how those work out. It's, it reminds me a lot of MLB Mac where you get these minor names going back and forth and you don't think anything of it, but they could end up being something big. But overall, I think the return to Columbus here is pretty good considering they gave what they had to give up and uh, overall Columbus. Yeah. They had to sell off quite a few of their key players, but I think overall they did pretty well. And uh, speaking of Columbus, let's get into their next trade here, Mac. Uh, This is one that really interested both of us. And we both really like this move. Nick Foligno to the Leafs is a part of a three team trade. We don't see too many of those. And uh, let's break it down here before we get into the analysis. The Leafs acquired Nick Foligno from the Blue Jackets and Stefan Noison for a first round pick and two fourth round picks. And then the San Jose Sharks retained some salaries and the Leafs, uh, when all is said and done, they'll pay a little more than a million for Foligno. And in my opinion, this is a really good move for Kyle Dubas because Nick Foligno, although his offensive production has never been top tier, he's such a good two way forward and he's been one of the best two way forwards arguably in the league for a long time, Mac. And now he gets added to a a Leafs team that has a lot more depth than it did just this time last year. And you can see Kyle Dubas. He didn't make the big splash moves, I'd say, but he made very solid moves. And I think that Nick Foligno is going to fit in very well with this Leafs team. He'll play the two-way game very well. He's going to fill some roles that the Leafs need to be filled. And I really like this move for the Leafs. Yeah, I agree with you. I was really excited when this move happened because it was kind of a late thing when Columbus, like you said, they decided to start selling off players. And I think the the trigger for them was when Zach Wierenski was uh, placed on injured reserve and is out for the season. So they just decided, you know what, this year's not our year. So let's see what we can get for Felino. It's a rental. And Savard potentially is a rental, but maybe more uh, – as a free agent to be. And they did well, like you said, but yeah, onto the Leafs. I mean, you mentioned the defensive plays he makes, you know, he's one of the top five defensive players in the league. He can get on the four check. He can keep the cycle going. He can play on the penalty kill. His leadership and character speaks for itself. And of course his dad played for the Leafs. What else yeah. did you want? <laughs> exactly. And, and although this was uh almost 10 years ago now, Mac. I remember when Nick Foligno was a member of the Senators and he, he was very good in the Senate with the Senators. And yeah, we got Mark Mathot back who uh, was an anchor for Carlson during his prime. 
so it worked out very well. But Nick Foligno in Ottawa and Columbus, he's just been so consistent. He's been a leader. He's been a two-way player. And as you mentioned, uh, it just works out that Foligno's end up playing in Toronto at some point in their career. Yeah, no, it's exciting for sure. And not only did the Leafs add him, but they also got Riley Nash, who's another really, really good elite defensive forward from Columbus for a seventh-round pick. So, you know, Kyle Dubas watched that playoff series from last year. And, yeah, I know the Leafs are a different team now, but I think he really identified those two players as guys that could make a huge difference for the Leafs in this upcoming playoff run. And I, I really think they will. I think that's just really smart management by Kyle Dubas. Absolutely. Uh, the Leafs, in my opinion, are absolute winners coming out of the trade deadline for what they gave up and what they're getting in return. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's keep going. Yeah. Uh, next big move, uh, Taylor Hall to Boston. And you and I, during our last episode, we both said it was just inevitable. Taylor Hall was going to get moved from Buffalo and – it was just a matter of who was going to take him for that cost and what were the uh, Sabres going to get in return. And uh, what are your thoughts on this return, Mac? Uh, Hall going, Hall and Lazar going to Boston for Bjork and a second-round pick. What do you think? I mean, it's okay. You know, Bjork is a solid young player, but he's not anyone that's really going to blow your socks off in terms of his skill and talent level. Um the second round pick, if Buffalo can do something with it, could be good. But remember, this is a team that signed Taylor Hall for a one-year, $8 million deal, trying to make the playoffs, and it blew up in their face. So at least they got something for him. But I think you and I are a little critical here because I think if they made this move earlier, they could have got a first-round pick and maybe a prospect. Yeah, absolutely. I think – they should have traded him back in early March, late February, when uh, things really started going downhill, and maybe even earlier, because uh, Taylor Hall in Buffalo, from the outset, it was pretty obvious that it wasn't going to work out very well, and it was just a matter of time until he was going to get traded. And I think Buffalo, if you're right, if they traded him when his value was a bit higher, they could have turned that into a first-round pick. And... It's also worth mentioning that Taylor Hall did have a no movement clause, so that might have affected things quite a, quite a bit. That you know the Sabers might have gone to move a deal from I don't know Los Angeles, just a random team, and they had a first in there. But Taylor Hall could have said, "No, I don't want to go there because they're not a contender." For example, yep, yep absolutely. So that needs to be factored in as well. On the Boston end, Mac, and I know Taylor Hall is the big piece here, but Curtis Lazar going to Boston. If you're a Boston fan, don't underestimate Curtis Lazar because over the past couple of years in Buffalo, he's really turned himself into someone that people were viewing as a bust from when he was dra- where he was drafted with the Senators five years ago to where he is now. And he, that's not saying he's a fabulous player, but as a depth player goes, he puts up a decent number of points. And he does a lot of little things. He's really figured out what type of player he wants to be in an NHL and what his role is. And he's very good at being a bottom six forward. So I, I like that the sorry the Bruins were able to get Curtis Lazar thrown in there as well because that could be a very uh, underrated piece come playoff time. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I agree with it totally. All right, uh, next big trade, Mac. Uh, Kyle Palmieri to the Islanders. Uh, this was a trade that happened uh, 
about a week ago now. The uh, Devils traded Paul Mary to the Islanders for A.J. Greer, Mason Jost, a first-round pick, and a fourth-round pick. The uh, Islanders also get Travis Zajac as part of the deal. And uh, that part I'm a little iffy on, but Paul Mary in, uh, on the island, that's a good move for the Islanders. Yeah, and, and I heard they were choosing between him and Paul between Hall, excuse me, and Paul Mary. And I can totally understand why they decided on Paul Mary. You know, he's he's not an issue in the locker room. He's a good defensive player. He's got a great shot. He's exactly the type of player that the Islanders want. So I don't blame them for trading what they did for him. He's already scored, I believe, with the Islanders, and he's fit in nicely. Absolutely. And let's not forget the Islanders have dealt – with injury problems, so Palmieri coming in, it's a good, it's good timing for the Islanders. As well, they get a big piece when they need one. Yeah, for sure. All right, uh, next on the list, uh, stall to Montreal, Mac. Uh, the Sabers with another sell-off move here in the fire sale. They uh, trade Eric Stall to Montreal for a third and fifth round pick. I, I think just in terms of. What you got back, it's not bad. Uh, I think he might have been able to get a little more. But uh, third and fifth round pick, uh, as long as your scouting staff knows what to do with those, you could turn those two or three years down the line. We could say, that's a steal for Buffalo. Yeah, I mean, that's probably the price that, uh, you know, I didn't think they were going to get more than a third. But the fact that they got a fifth, I think they were like, okay, let's do it. I mean. Eric Stahl has not had a great year, but he did score in his first game with Montreal, and I think uh, he'll be much more comfortable on a on a better team and a team that will actually give him an opportunity versus uh, Buffalo, which was just a death trap for him. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then the final big move, Mac, uh, that's worth mentioning is Matthias Janmark to the Vegas Golden Knights. And in return, the Hawks will get a second and third round pick. Uh, thoughts on this trade? Yeah, this was a high price to pay for Matthias Yenmark because, you know, if you look back at the offseason, um, the Blackhawks signed him to a one-year contract worth just a little more than $2 million. And, you know, they realized, okay, playoffs isn't in the cards this year. It, and you flip him for a second and a third round pick, I mean – I was surprised someone was able to was willing to move that much for him, but we'll see how he does. I mean, I think Vegas could have done a little better than him, but remember, you know, they're they're right up against the cap, so it's it's tough for them to make any moves. Absolutely, and uh, let's jump into some more moves here. Some lesser report on moves. Uh, I want to jump into another Leafs move we didn't talk about a few minutes ago, Mac, and that's acquiring David Riddich. I think that was a really good move for the Leafs. You and I talked about in our last episode how the Leafs need to go out and get another goaltender. And they acquired David Riddich, who's had his ups and downs in Calgary. But he has, to be fair, he has played in front of a pretty inconsistent Calgary team this year. And uh, the potential for David Riddich to be good in Toronto is very high, especially as a backup or a tandem with Campbell. And that's the way it looks like uh, Keefe and... uh, Dubis want to go forward. They're putting Anderson on the sideline, as I know you have wanted for the past few weeks. And uh, let's not forget, the uh, Leafs didn't have to give up much. They just gave up a third-round pick for next year's draft. So a solid pickup for the Leafs doesn't cost them much. Uh, low risk, high reward is what it looks like to me. 
Yeah, exactly. There was a real need for another NHL quality goalie, and and David Riddich has proven that he can start or back up. And remember, he's going to a better defensive system, a much better team. Um, and it's funny, he's starting against Calgary tonight as we speak. So his first game is against his former team. How about that? Yeah, absolutely. It, it kind of works out that way sometimes. It's funny like that. But overall, uh, the Leafs had a very good trade deadline. I like it. And I think that the Leafs have set themselves up. To me, Mac, if you're a Leafs fan at this point, you, you got to be thinking conference finals. No? Based on the competition they're going to play, they, they'll be – at this point, it looks like the top four is mostly set in stone. We could see a team like – Calgary or probably not Calgary Vancouver I should say make a run for that fourth spot but I don't see it happening Calgary Vancouver so the top four in the uh, east is kind of set and there's a very good chance we see Toronto Montreal in round one got to feel good about the Leafs heading into that in an early prediction and then you place it play a team like Winnipeg and Edmonton with the depth that the Leafs have acquired here and how good they've been playing if they can stay healthy I really don't see why they can't make the conference finals in this year's playoffs at minimum. Yeah, they're, they're certainly built for it. And I think all it takes is winning that first round and winning that first round uh, maybe convincingly, or just maybe just winning it uh, is where you start. But I look at all the changes they've made and, and the confidence they have in the players management, the coach, um, the players buying into the system and, and I don't see any reason why they shouldn't I mean they're they're clearly the class of the division and they continue to be as we talk about it today so that's definitely where they're aiming obviously you know everybody knows they're aiming for the Stanley Cup but let's let's take it one game at a time here guys <laughs> <laughs> absolutely I th- I think the expectations are high on the Leafs but for good reason uh It'll be interesting to see what the Leafs do. I think there's a renewed sense of confidence there and a swagger almost we haven't seen in the Leafs team, at least in my lifetime. So it's going to be fun to see how the Leafs play here. Uh, playoffs are coming quicker than we expect, just a month, about a month from today. So it's coming quick. And uh, there's a there were a bunch of small moves yesterday, Mac. Are there any in your mind that really stick out to you? As you, can, you look at it and you say, yeah, this isn't going to make top headlines on SportsCenter or Sportsnet or whatever, but this is a move that's going could very well pay off in spades for that GM. What do you what do you like? Uh, I think the Devils acquiring Jonas Siegenthaler, who's a defensive defenseman who didn't really get a huge opportunity with the Capitals, is an interesting one. I mean, he only gave up a conditional third round pick. Um, and there are others. Like I think the other one I point to is Adam Gaudet moving from. Vancouver to Chicago for basically hardly anything. I mean, you look at what they traded for him. They traded Matthew Highmore to Vancouver. Now, just listen to this stat, Matt. Highmore has 10 points over three NHL seasons and two points this year. Gaudette has 52 points over four NHL seasons and seven points this year. Uh, another Jim Benning move that we just questioned. Yeah, well, we, we, look, you and I knew we were going to see some sort of Jim Bang move, and uh, that was it. It was not a good move. I think a lot of Canucks fans rightly are questioning 
why did Jim Benning make that move? There was no reason to make that move. Unless he sees something in Highmore that he didn't in Gaudet. And that's not to discount Matthew Highmore, because he could be we could be proven wrong here, Mac, but with just based on production over the per their first few seasons, uh, it's a bit of an odd move to say the least. And then uh, there's the other moves I want to talk about are the moves that didn't get made, Mac. And mm. you and I, uh, we look at the deadline. There's for me, there's kind of three teams that really stand out to me that didn't make as as many moves or any moves that we like we thought they were going to. Uh, first for me is Nashville. You and I both th- thought Nashville was going to make a sell off here. Uh, we said on our last episode, we both agreed that even though Nashville was technically in a playoff hunt, they shouldn't have gone. They, they should have continued with the sell off. It's possible that David Pohl just didn't get he, – I'm sure he got offers for guys, but uh, he probably didn't get any deals he liked, and that's fair. But I, I thought he was going to move at least one of his bigger pieces yesterday. Yeah, I think the only reason he didn't do that is because the Predators have been playing well recently. You know, UC Saros seems to be uh, on a much better trend lately this year. He's been very good, which is kind of what – the Predators have been waiting for. Um, you know, you made a minor move acquiring Eric Goodbranson for a prospect in a seventh-round pick, but you and I do not like Eric Goodbranson one bit. So No, uh, that's a uh, good move for the Sens. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not sure that's a great move either. But, yeah, um, certainly he's, he's taking a risk here. I mean, the good part is I think you could still potentially make some moves in the offseason. So okay. I think maybe just – you know, he's seeing how it goes for now. And then if, if they get eliminated quickly or they fall out of the playoff race, that those players have enough term and enough teams interested that you can still move them. So I think he's just uh, kind of taking a wait-and-see approach here. And that's fair. Uh, I do think uh, we will see some more moves from the Predators over the offseason, though, depending on what happens through the remainder of the season. The team that really surprised both of us, we both thought Arizona was going to compete with Buffalo for the fire sale <laughs> and we didn't see it. Yeah. We didn't see it at all. Yeah. They didn't do anything. I think that caught up even pretty much all the top experts at TSN and Sportsnet off guard. Cause everyone thought going into this deadline, the Coyotes are going to make moves. Cause I haven't here. I'll double check the stands right now. They are in fifth and the blues are surging right now. They're uh, they've won three in a row and the Coyotes have lost four in a row. So mm-hmm. Yeah, clearly management in Arizona. This is the only reason why they don't sell off Matt. Clearly, they think they're a playoff team, and uh, they aren't. The only reason they were in fourth is because the Blues were going through a a a real struggle fest, and every other team below them is just in a rebuild. You know, Anaheim's in a rebuild. Los Angeles is in a rebuild. San Jose's in a rebuild, and Arizona at best is mediocre. So. I don't know why, if you're an Arizona front office manager, you look at this team and you say, yes, this is a group that will make the playoffs and beat the Golden Knights or the Colorado Avalanche. <laughs> so uh, I think this, I still think the fire sale is coming back. It's just going to be this offseason when they inevitably miss the playoffs. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, nobody really knows what, what they're going to do at this point. It, they're very hard to predict. Absolutely. Uh, the uh, Arizona Coyotes are always an interesting case study in how not to manage your franchise, eh? Yep. 
Yeah. All right, and then uh, the one more team I want to mention, I want to mention for that surprised me in terms of not making as many moves, and even though they were on our list of teams that made a big splash, would be the Montreal Canadiens. I know they got, uh, I know they got stalled, but I thought they were going to make more moves. I really did. I thought with Bergevin being on the hot seat and the uh, Habs being in a playoff spot, but behind all the other teams by uh, seven or eight points. I, I thought that Bergevin was feeling the hot seat and he was going to make some desperation moves. And we didn't see that. Yeah, you're right. You know, he made a couple minor moves acquiring uh, a Merrill. offensive defenseman and a kind of defensive defenseman, but you're right. I mean, does that do enough to address this team's issues? No. Um. The one not, who, not only that, but I, I, we have to pick on Ken Holland here, don't we? Yeah, we do. Uh, one, we move over to the Edmonton McDrive Sidles, uh, the team. And, and this is nothing against uh, Oilers fans, because I do love, uh, even though I'm a Flames fan at heart, I'd like to see the Oilers succeed. It's been quite a while, but uh, the Oilers perplex me, Mac. Yeah. They have some room, they had some room to make some. Moves and the only move they make, Mac, Dmitry Kulikov for a conditional draft pick. That's what's going to put him over the top. That's going to uh, address their shortage on depth, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, like this is this doesn't make any sense because I think what this tells me. I don't know if this it you get this message as well from this trade deadline by Edmonton, but it tells me that Ken Holland was not willing to get creative here and get, you know, teams to retain salary to address the real needs of this team, which is depth and scoring and depth on defense. And if you don't have those things, and yes, Dmitry Kulikov will make your defense better, but how much better? You know, he's a third-pairing defender. Like uh, Exactly. This is, I... this is puzzling, to say the least. <laughs> well, I, I think you and I are starting to feel like a broken record on some of these teams, especially the Oilers. We've talked about it all season, Mac. The Oilers, they yes, McDavid, Drysdale, Nurse, and Hop, and uh, Nugent Hopkins are four really good players. But once those guys are off the ice, especially McDavid and Drysdale, this team goes from what could be a top tier team to a mid tier team at best. And it's been a problem with the Oilers for years. Uh, we saw in 2017, 18, 19, 2020, and now 2021. Uh, the if you're Oilers management, you need to be looking for creative ways to bring in more depth. And there's lots of ways to do that. Look at what Cal Dubas was able to do yesterday. The Leafs were right up against the cap. And he was able to bring in guys like Riley, Felino, and Riddich for basically nothing. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's another questionable uh, lack of activity by the Oilers. I mean, I, I don't know what's going to happen here, but they're going to need to start making some smart moves soon or else, you know, how much longer can you wait? How much longer is your window with McDavid and Dreisaitl? Like it's, it's concerning. And I feel bad for Oilers fans because they deserve better as do a lot of fans of good teams that don't have the best management. Mm. All right. There's one more move. I meant to put it in with Montreal moves, but I quite like, even though it was a, it was a bit of a silly move from Bergevin. He weighs Victor Mete and the Sens pick him up. And basically we've got a free trial of Victor Mete and we know he can be a much better player than he has been 
in recent years. And it's a no risk move for for Pierre Dorian. That's the best move he made. He's made over the past few weeks, and he he played last night against the Jets, Mac, and he looked decent. He was on the second pairing at times, and uh, I, I think that Mete could find a home here in Ottawa. He's a restricted free agent this coming off season, so low risk, high reward for. Victor Mete, I quite like that move. It really was the only notable move the Sens made before the deadline. So I quite like it. Yeah, no, you're right. And I'm surprised that they didn't trade him before. And I don't know if you remember this, but earlier on in the season, Bergman was asked, why aren't you giving Victor Mete an opportunity? Maybe you should trade him and get value for him. And he said, oh, I'm not trading him. I don't want to do that. We like him a lot. And then you wave him later in the season. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing I, I got to commend Pierre Dorian for quickly here, Mac, is that over the past few years, he's brought in players that he knows are good players. They just haven't been able to find that opportunity. And with Ottawa being a rebuilding team, he's been able to bring in guys like Mete and Duclair, for example, that weren't get in a good situation and they've brought them in and they've given him the opportunity. And Mete is going to get all the opportunity in the world to prove to the Senators why he should deserve a contract this offseason. And I think this is a good situation for him. He's coming into a team that, yes, is rebuilding, but is looking better and better. And they've been, been getting better and they've been playing their prospects a lot more as the season has gone along. And I feel good about the team. The one other note on the Sens, Mac, before we uh, move into some quick winners and losers here, Mac, is uh, it, it's worth noting that uh, Pinto, Shane Pinto and Jacob Bernard Docker did sign their entry-level contracts after uh, University of North Dakota got eliminated in that thrilling overtime game. And they are now in Ottawa. They were leading the stretch at practice this morning. So I'm hoping they will draw into the lineup tomorrow night against the Winnipeg Jets. And uh, I'm hoping that they can uh, find a home here in Ottawa because we're at the point in the season where there's no risk for the Sens to play their prospects and they seem to be starting to embrace that. So I'm happy to see that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's do a quick recap of winners and losers and we'll wrap up with a fun quote about Taylor Hall. All right, well, you got to put Detroit as a winner, right? Yeah, for sure. I mean, just another really well-managed trade deadline by Steve Eiserman. Mm, yeah, Detroit, they're going to be a few years off, of course. But over the past few deadlines since Eiserman has landed in Detroit, I think that he's definitely building towards something a bit slowly. But he did that in Tampa Bay, too, and it worked out pretty darn well. Absolutely, Toronto is a winner, Mac. Uh, no doubt with what they've been able to do. Uh, Kyle Dubas bringing in some really good depth players, without giving a much, as we've mentioned. And the Leafs are playing pretty well right now. They went through a little bit of a slump in late March, but they've uh, found their groove again and are looking good. Uh, your thoughts on the Leafs? Yeah, no, I just – every move they made <clears> – <throat> excuse me, they made I like, and that includes the Alex Belchenyak move, which has turned out very well for the Leafs. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to see what these new additions will bring. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chicago, uh, a team that – Maybe not a lot of people are going to have on the radar as a team that had a good deadline, but I think 
both you and I, uh, we got to give a shout to Stan Bowman, Mac. He uh, had a great deadline. He got got out for back practically nothing like you and I uh, point out. He fleeced uh, Benning like a lot of GMs do, but he did in a smart way. And he got a second and third round pick for uh, Matthias Janmark. And I'm, I'm feeling good about uh, what Chicago is building here, Mac. Yeah, no, they, they seem to have a plan. Um, it's just a matter of executing on that plan. They're, they're acquiring younger players. They're acquiring draft picks. It's just about making the most of those picks, and, and things will start turning around for this team. But, yeah, I agree with you on that. All right, Colorado, a team that has really found their groove. You and I were wondering in early March, you know, what's going on with Colorado? They should be just – lighting it up in this division and just based on how everything's going. And now that guys like McKinnon are finding their stride, Joe Sackick makes a, has another smart deadline. He brings in uh, goaltending depth and Jonas Johansson and uh, Devin Dubnik. And he didn't really uh, pay a whole lot for them, but I think that this is some good goaltending depth, just like the Leafs, the uh, abs could use it. And uh, I like the moves Sackick did. They weren't big moves by any means, but bringing guys like Carl Soderberg and Patrick Namath are really good depth moves that aren't going to make a lot of noise, but come playoff time, they will. Yep, for sure. All right, Mac, uh, what other teams do you have as winners? I like what Florida did because aside from Sam Bennett, who they paid a second round pick for, which I'm not wild about, they didn't pay very much for Brandon Montour. They didn't pay very much for Lucas Walmark. And it helps the depth on the NHL roster, which they still needed, even though they've had a good year. Mm. And, and w- one final winner here, Mac, uh, Boston Bruins. I know you uh, have your opinions on Boston as a fan, but looking at it from an objective point of view, Boston Bruins, uh, they had a good deadline. You bring in Taylor Hall and bring in Curtis Lazar, which I mentioned earlier, I really like. They added Mike Riley, who's been – as a Sens fan, he's had his ups and downs, but it's overall been fairly solid this year. And I think that Boston, yeah, they had the big splash with Taylor Hall, but A, they didn't give up too much for him. Mm-hmm. And B, uh, Curtis Lazar coming in along with Mike Riley. These are Those are three players that can really help Boston. And they've had their ups and downs this year as a team this year. But of course, they've dealt with injuries with like Rask and McAvoy, but as you know, they're on the mend and they should be back for playoff time. So uh, you definitely don't want to underestimate the Boston Bruins come playoff time. You and I have learned that the hard way a few times and a, a solid deadline for the uh, Beantown Bruins. Yeah, absolutely. Let's quickly do the losers and we'll wrap up here. All right. Uh, well, we already mentioned Montreal, Mac. Uh, really, what was Bergeron thinking? Yeah, you uh, bring in uh, Merrill and Stahl, but you really don't bring in a whole lot. In Montreal, you and I both know they're going to make the plus, but they needed something to push them over the top. Bergevin didn't do it. And I think Montreal is going to find themselves losing in four or five to the Leafs, to be frank. Yeah. All right. Uh, now, I'm going to let you take this one because I know you love talking about this team. Very oh, I, I, I'm salivating at this one, Mac. The Pittsburgh Penguins losers this trade deadline, Mac. They trade for Jeff Carter, who you note, and this is a great note here, Mac, who is barely even hanging on as an NHL player at this point. It doesn't make any sense at all. Yeah, I will, I will admit they've had a good season as much as it frustrates me, but I don't know if they're going to do anything in the playoffs, Mac. I really don't. They've uh, 
feasted on the bottom feeders of their division. And yeah, they've gotten some good wins, but they've also had some pretty hard losses. Just case in point, looking at the uh, Penguins and Rangers games the past few weeks. Yeah, absolutely. And we briefly mentioned Winnipeg, but not a very active deadline for them. They only got Jordy Ben for, you know, their third pair on defense, but they did absolutely nothing else. And I think they could have used a little more depth, obviously on defense as well. We talked about, I think they could have used uh, better goaltending as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and next on our list, of course, Jim Benning. He usually finds himself on this, on the losers list, Mac. And uh, this year is no exception. A lot of things may change, have changed in the world, but uh, Jim Benning being a loser at the trade deadline is certainly not one of them. We already mentioned the Godet trade and uh, such a lo- such a horrible trade for Vancouver, at least uh, as it stands right now. And uh, Jim Benning, as always, makes our losers list. Uh, this is a team you might want to talk about, Mac, because I know uh, you like talking about the Vegas Golden Knights being a radio expert and all on the Golden Knights in Utah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just I just think the fact that they overpaid so much for really a, you know, kind of a slightly above average forward who doesn't produce a lot of points and is more known for his defense when they really have two good lines. Their third line is okay. Their fourth line is basically an energy line. Their defense is good. Their goaltending is very good, but they really needed some more forward depth and I don't think this moves the needle very much for them. And I still think Colorado is the clear favorite to win the West. And, and you, and I, I like Vegas, but uh, we'll see. I think they're going to struggle at times in the playoffs. And uh, this team, they started out very hot. They've kind of cooled down a bit. And it's going to be interesting to see how they play. Next up, the uh, Washington Capitals. Uh, Maka, you and I talked about the Mantha deal off the top. Uh, we like it overall, but you got to feel as though it's a bit of an overpayment, no, for uh, Anthony Mantha. It, the potential for Mantha to be really good is high, but uh, Steve Yeiserman uh, was able to get a uh, first and second round draft pick for Mantha, which is uh, a lot. And, and a, it's a risk. It's a big risk. That's what I don't like about – that's the one thing I don't like about the Mantha trade is that you give up a lot for – for a bit of a risk here. Yeah, it's 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 a tough one. I mean, obviously, if, if Mantha plays really well and, and they, I don't know, they make a deep playoff run, it's maybe worth it. But, yeah, it's it's a lot to give up for, like we said, just a similar player to Jacob Verona. You know, there's nothing wrong with Jacob Verona. And you decided to give up all this to get them to take the Richard Ponick contract and for – I guess an upgrade you feel is worth a first and a second round pick. Like, I don't know. Exactly. And then the final loser on this list, Mac, uh, would be the Carolina Hurricanes. They didn't really do much of anything. They, they could have used a bit of extra depth. You and I have mentioned that before, but they made one very minor move. They traded Hayden Fleury and a draft pick for Yanni Hakipana, who, uh, as you know, here will likely slot in on the third pairing for the Canes. A little bit of depth there, Mac, but, you know, you got to think Carolina could have used a bit more depth, especially considering they're in a fight with uh, Tampa Bay and Florida for the division lead, and we'll pro- and we'll have to play one of those in round one. And either one of those teams, especially if they match up against Tampa, will be a tough out. So a little more depth could have gone a long way here, but uh, Carolina st- basically stays pat at the deadline. Yep, yep. Okay, so that wraps it up. So now before we finish, 
I want to quickly mention this Taylor Hall quote. Now, this isn't exactly what he said, but this is a summary of what he said. Okay, so after the trade, this is what he said. I went to Buffalo to play with Jack Eichel, and if it didn't work out, I had a no-trade clause on my contract so I could be moved to a team of my choice at the trade deadline. Now, as we heard, other offers were out there for Hall and better offers, but he chose Boston as the place he wanted to play. And Steve Cornianos, who we had on for our great draft episode, summarized this very well. Here's what he said. So Taylor Hall essentially admits in a walk here that his intent in signing for $8 million Buffalo was to hide behind Eichel and he wanted a trade to the Bruins so they can mask his shortcomings and allow him to defer the responsibilities of veteran leadership to others. Keep in mind, Taylor Hall is 29 years old, but the more I hear about this guy, the less I like him and the less I would want him on my team. Yeah. And the thing is we know Taylor Hall has got skill, but he always just, Something just seems off about him, if you know what I mean, Mac. He doesn't seem like he's the best guy in the locker room. And what Steve Coniano said was harsh, but I think it, I think there's a lot of truth to that. And uh, fans in Edmonton, New Jersey, Arizona, and now Buffalo will probably say, yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, all right. Anything else you wanted to add? Uh, this is fun, as always. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, I'm excited for the final few weeks of the season. Uh, of course, May is right around the corner, and uh, – we, we will have our two episodes a month in May. And I believe we have one more obligated for this month as well, Max. So uh, we'll be planning on that. Not sure what it'll be about, but it, during an NHL season like this, Mac, there is always some news going around. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that should do it for this episode. As always, Center Ice is brought to you by the National Podcast Network. And you can find us wherever you get your podcast. And as always, stay safe and enjoy the game, guys.